0: Father God in heaven, we thank you Lord for this morning. Thank you for this time of worship. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your love that you poured into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Lord, let us be filled afresh and anew this morning. Let our hearts be renewed, let our minds be renewed. God, as we study the Bible, as we study your word, and we hear you speak from the pages of scripture. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. Lord, we deserved judgment because of our sin. But God, you showed us mercy. God, we should just be thankful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for not wiping us out, but showing us grace and mercy and love and truth and compassion and kindness. You're so good to us, and we thank you, Lord. You're an amazing God. We worship you, God. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Holy Spirit. God, bring us in. Reel us in. And let us sit at your feet and study your word. Touch our hearts today. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. If you agree with that prayer, say Amen. 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 You may have a seat great to see everyone this morning. Hope everyone's doing well. I um, hope y'all have been blessed by our study through the book of Revelation. We're coming close to the end. We're coming close to the end. Maybe two more Sundays. Two more Sundays, and we'll finish up Revelation. And I've been praying about this, and my, my, I feel the Lord pulling my heart in the direction of Matthew. So y'all ready to study the Sermon on the Mount? And all that good stuff. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead. Now, we want, to, we want to dive deep into the book of Revelation. But I'm already excited about the next book that we're going to study. At Calvary Chapel, we study the Bible. It's just, it's that simple. So, please turn in your Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 20. We're going to make our way through the whole chapter this morning. It's not about 15 verses. A very short chapter. But uh, go with me for a minute. Imagine a perfect world dominated by righteousness by goodness and perfect justice, where everyone is treated fairly. Imagine a world where what is true and noble marks every part of life, including family, education, and yes, even government. Imagine a world where there is perfect peace, joy abounds, good health health prevails, even to the point where people live for hundreds and thousands of years. That sounds pretty cool, don't it? That's not a fairy tale. That's not wishful thinking. It is a truth and a reality that's coming to our planet in the future. We call it the millennial kingdom. The millennial kingdom. Some people call it the millennial kingdom, which is the title of my message, Revelation chapter 20. Uh, some people call it the millennial reign of Christ. But basically what it is, it is a coming earthly kingdom. It's the theme of the whole Bible almost. All the Old Testament prophets prior to Christ were looking forward to this beautiful and glorious kingdom. I want to bring up some Bible verses on this kingdom. Now, we're going to teach through each one of these this morning, and I'll try to have you out of here by five (laughs) o'clock. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, but if, you do, if, you, if you would like a copy of these verses, if you'll just email me or text me, I will be glad to email you this. But this is about half of the verses in the Bible. It's as many as I could fit on one screen that talk about this future millennial reign, this future kingdom. Those verses. So what I want to do is I want to go through just a couple of them. But this is talking about the millennial reign of Christ. It is a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ that takes place after the Battle of Armageddon. We looked at that last week, and Jesus Christ comes back on a white horse with his church. They come, they obliterate the bad guys, the evil forces, and then it's time to set up the kingdom. It's time to look forward to everything that Isaiah and the prophets talked about, the things that the, even the New Testament alludes to. I want to give you just a couple verses. Just uh, I'm going to give you four, four verses from this passage from my screen up here. And uh, the first one is Isaiah chapter 24 verse 23. It says, then the moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. The Lord Jesus Christ during the millennial kingdom is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be the capital of, the, of this millennial kingdom there in the Middle East, and the Lord Jesus Christ with his elders and, all, and many of us will be ruling and reigning over the world. We've never seen nothing like this, family. That's why they call this eschatology. This is future events. This is the f- future eternal state of the universe and planet Earth. The next verse, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3, says, Many people will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. That, here it is, look at that, that He, notice it's a capital H, that He may teach us, talking about Jesus, concerning His ways, and that we may walk in His paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Do you see what this verse is saying? You and I are going to get to travel to Jerusalem and sit at Jesus' feet and listen to the Lord Jesus speak. I got a phone call this week. I got invited to a Paul Washer speaking in October. And I don't know if if you guys know Paul Washer, but he's a a missionary, uh, on fire for the Lord, preacher, goes around the world evangelizing. And I'm excited I'm excited, and they've asked me if I wanted to bring people from our church to go see Paul Washer speak at CIU in October. And that's going to be exciting, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm going to be inviting some people, but let me tell you something. there's someone greater coming to earth than Paul Washer in the millennial kingdom, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And why, yes, the CIU told me I can invite some people to come and see. God says, He invites all of you and everyone. To be a part of the millennial kingdom and get to come see the ultimate speaker speak, the Lord Jesus Christ. So think about your favorite preacher, your favorite pastor, your favorite teacher, you know, but there's one that's greater than them all, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the millennial kingdom, we'll get to listen to him teach us. Um, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, talking about the millennial kingdom says, He, there it is, capital H again, and He will judge between the nations. And render decisions for many people, and they will hammer their sword into the ploughshares and their spears and their pruning hooks. And nations will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. In this kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ is gonna be the judge. And let me tell you something, he's not corrupt. He is perfect, and he is going to rule with complete and sovereign justice. There will be no corrupt government. It will be perfect justice, and the Lord Jesus Christ will be the judge. And also, if you notice at the end of verse 4, it says, and never again will they learn war. There will be no wars. Nations will be at peace. You know, our world is looking for this. I mean, do you not see it in our culture today? in the news, in the media, that we're searching for world peace. But it's coming, but it's not going to come from this world. It's going to come from the millennial reign of Christ, when the Lord Jesus Christ rules and reigns, and He establishes His perfect peace, and there will be no wars. This is going to be an amazing thousand years. I cannot wait. You You think... Times are exciting now. You think life is good now, which it is, praise the Lord. Wait till the kingdom. Wait till the millennial reign of Christ. All right, how many animal lovers we got? How many animal lovers we got? We got a couple animal lovers in here. This, this verse is for you guys. You like the animals? Listen to what's going to happen to the animal kingdom in the millennial reign of Christ. Isaiah chapter 11, verses six through nine. It says, and the wolf will dwell with the lamb, Okay. And the leopard will lie down with your young goat. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And the little boy will lead them. Also, the cow and the bear will graze. The young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. Moms, listen to this one. And the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand On the vipers' den, they will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord, knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You know, I love watching those animal shows. I love watching them hunts on the safari. And every good hunt on the safari has got a 30-06. Because when that lion comes, he better put it on him. Or that lion's going to put it on him. Because that's how dangerous lions and tigers are. But in the millennial kingdom, family, you can play with the cobras. You can play with the vipers. You can walk among the lions. It'll be perfect peace. He's even gonna transform not only us, but he's gonna transfer, transform excuse me, the animal kingdom. It's this, this is gonna be an amazing time, this thousand-year reign, of true where truth and righteousness will fill the earth. It will be t- a time of amazing prosperity. It will be a time of of amazing blessing that all of these passages point to, called the millennial kingdom, the millennial reign of Christ. After Armageddon and the second coming of of Christ, which we looked at in Revelation chapter 19, we just follow the the Bible in chronological order, and the very next thing after the second coming of Christ is the establishing of the kingdom. It will be a physical reality on planet Earth, where their Lord Jesus Christ will rule and reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. Now, Pastor David, how about the kingdom of God? Didn't Jesus say the kingdom of God is here and now? And yes, he does. We get to experience today, right in the here and now, the spiritual kingdom of God. Paul said in Romans chapter 14, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom that we're experiencing now, family, is spiritual, according to Romans chapter 14. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And may I add, it's perfect righteousness, it's perfect peace, and it's perfect joy. But one day, that spiritual kingdom is going to be a physical kingdom that we see here on planet Earth. So let's dive in to Revelation 2. Chapter 20, verse 1, where it talks about the kingdom. This phrase, a thousand years, is going to be used seven times in the um, first half of this chapter. Let's take a look at it. Let's study Revelation chapter 20. He says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss, and a great chain in his hand. That's important, great chain. There's a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the, there it is again, thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Again, family, I said this a while ago, chronological order, Revelation 19, is the battle of Armageddon, the second coming of Christ. And here, in Revelation chapter 20, after Christ comes back to earth, he stands on the Mount of Olives, according to Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4, and his first order of business is to deal with our enemy, to deal with Satan, the enemy of our soul. I find it fascinating that God uses and I emphasized it a while I go when I was reading it, a, a great chain. It says he uses a great chain to subdue Satan. Jesus said in John eight forty four. he, talking about Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. He is a liar and the father of lies. Lies are, falsehood and everything that is not true has its origin in Satan. And God is going to put him down. And he uses a great chain. Since the beginning of time, Satan has held people, some of us, including myself, he's held us in great chains. Has he held you in great chains in your life? Where you were deceived? He holds people in chains of great chains of unbelief he holds people in chains of lies he holds people in chains of confusion he holds people in chains of deception he holds people in chains of lies because he is a liar and the father of lies and he's real and he's operating in the spirit realm and he's waging war against the church against people coming to know Christ and God it's going to seal him. Uh, now, Satan has held cha- had, had us in chains. Now, the chains are turned on Satan. And he is shackled. Notice verse 3. It does not say he was placed in the abyss. It says what? He was thrown down. I like that. He was thrown down. I would love to witness this. To see this angel and to see Satan and Lucifer be cast into the abyss. Not pushed in, not escorted in, but thrown down and a seal and a cap locked over him. And And so during the millennial reign, for a thousand years, until the very end, he'll come out at the very end, but for a thousand years, there will be no satanic evil influences in the world that's why we say righteousness and truth will reign during the millennial kingdom and friends and family if you've been born again if you're a believer in christ get ready it's coming and it's going to be mind-blowingly amazing saints from all the ages in this millennial reign i I think it's going to be like life here on earth now it's going to be like life here on earth right now on planet earth minus the sin and evil You know, there's going to be the best hunting, the best fishing. It's going to be the best life. It's going to be mind-blowingly amazing because Satan is going to be removed. His influence will be gone. Now, the next question is, who will be there? Who will be in the kingdom? What does the Bible say about who will be in the millennial reign of Christ? Verses 4 through 6. Let's take a look at it. They tell us, who will be in this kingdom. And I'll add some other verses from Scripture that talk about who will be in this kingdom. Verse 4 says, Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead, on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for it. There it is again, a thousand years The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection over these. The second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Who will be there in the, what does the Bible say? We study the Bible. What does the Bible say? Who will be there during the millennial reign? I give you four, four groups of people that will be there in the millennial reign. Number one, the text has told us that it'll be tribulation martyrs. It'll be tribulation martyrs. It'll be those who lost their life in the great tribulation for their stand for Christ. They will be resurrected and they will be brought into the kingdom. Now also, as we're gonna see later on in this text, evidently there's going to be believers that don't take the mark that go from the um, tribulation into the millennial kingdom in their natural bodies. And that explains the repopulation of earth during the millennial kingdom. But we'll talk more about that in a minute. The second group, so the first group are people that come out of the great tribulation. The second group uh, is uh, the disciples, the disciples, and I'll add to that, the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. The followers of Christ. Uh, Matthew nineteen twenty eight and 1 Corinthians 6, 2 indicate this. Jesus said to them, told his disciples, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, talking about the kingdom, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also will sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel so Jesus indicates the disciples and those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ will be in this kingdom family that's you and I also Paul confirms this in first Corinthians chapter 6 verse 2 where he tells the church at Corinth he says do you not know that the Saints will judge the world if the world is judged by you are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts so Paul says that the church will even judge, will be a part of this kingdom. Believers and the followers of Christ. Now, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to quote the scripture, but you can take note of it. Uh, believers from the Old Testament. The scripture, it seems to indicate that believers from the Old Testament will take part in the kingdom. That can be found in Daniel 7, 27, Daniel 12, verse 2, and Matthew 19, 28. But here's the cool thing. It's going to be this huge family of God reunion where we're going to get to talk with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the disciples and and Martin Luther and Charles Spurgeon and anybody else that's been a believer in the Lord since the beginning of time. There's going to be this huge family reunion, this millennial kingdom. What are we doing? What's, what's, What's everyone doing during the kingdom? Verses 4 and verse 6 both use the phrase, verse 4 says they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And then verse 6 says uh, they will reign with him for a thousand years. Friends and family, you and I will be ruling and reigning with Jesus for a thousand years. Verses 1 through 7, the phrase a thousand years is, is used six times. This is the millennial Kingdom of Christ that was foretold throughout the whole entire Bible. You know, prior to you know the, the crucifixion and, and Christ's crucifixion caught the disciples off guard. They thought he was coming to establish the kingdom. They thought that he was going to free them from the tyranny of Rome. And then he's crucified. That's why they were so crushed. Because they thought he was going to set up the kingdom there but they didn't know about the church age. They didn't know about the age of, of grace that was going to come to the earth where God, excuse me, where, where God saves people and builds his church and builds his kingdom to have this mass reunion. In this kingdom, in the millennial reign of Christ, you will no longer have to live by faith. You will see Jesus face to face. I love all the religious artwork out there. You know, we have all these pictures of Jesus in artwork. But the truth of the matter is, we do not know what Jesus looks like. There were no cameras back in the first century. There were no Polaroids. There was no Facebook. There was none of that. So we don't know. But one day, we're going to see him in his glorified state. And we'll see him face to face. In this kingdom, there will be no death. There will be no sickness. It will be perfect health. No cancer, no disease, none of that. It will be perfect. You and I will have supernatural bodies just like Jesus' when it went through that door where the disciples were. I believe in the kingdom. It's going to be like, you know what? I think I want to go to South America. And I just go. I just, I just go there in, in a flash, just like that. It's going to be this supernatural world. You want to go to Mars? Go to Mars. You can travel. You can do amazing things. This kingdom is going to be awesome because we are not going to have natural bodies that are subject to nature. We're going to have supernatural bodies just like the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever he was taken up into heaven, the Bible says a cloud hid him from their sight. He had a supernatural body and you and I are going to have that same supernatural body. It will be a perfect world, perfect fishing, perfect hunting, perfect life, perfect family, no disease, celebration. It will be joyful. It will be exciting. It will not be boring. It will not be religious. It will be a thousand-year party. It will be a thousand-year celebration. And this isn't a fairy tale. This isn't, well, that's just what y'all believe in the Bible. No. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. God holds his word above his own name. He will be faithful to everything he says in his word. It will be like the world today, minus sin and evil, where truth and righteousness reigns. Let's continue in our study. Verse 7. Verse 7. So the, 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 the world is going to go through this uh, thousand-year reign. And if you really want to dive into that thousand years, email me. And I'll send you those slides I showed you in the beginning and you can study more about what's going to take place during the kingdom. But verse 7 jumps to the end. It says, When a thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. And the number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came upon the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And here it is, fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Now what in the world is John talking about? Evidently, there will be believers who make it through the great tribulation who did not experience physical death. They will enter the millennial kingdom in their natural body. So in the millennial kingdom, there will be believers in their glorified bodies, and there'll be believers in their physical bodies. Those with physical bodies will have children and repopulate the earth in the millennial kingdom. But even in the millennial kingdom, family, God's plan of salvation will not change. Those who enter into the kingdom in a natural state, um, they must repent. They must put their trust in Christ or they will suffer the consequences of being led away by Satan's deception. And what we have here, verses 7 through 9, is at the end of the millennial kingdom, Satan will lead one final attempt to overthrow God's kingdom and lead these people in their natural state astray. But, according to verse 9, it says... And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. But he will be smote. He will be taken out. And verse 10 says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This could be the greatest moment in the millennial kingdom. And my prayer is, Lord Jesus Christ, let me stand there and witness this. Because this is going to be awesome. Why is this going to be awesome? Because Satan is going to meet his final destiny. He's going to meet his final destiny. He was stripped of his authority over us at the cross. And we were made right with God, freed from his dominion, and placed into a right relationship with Christ. So he was stripped of his authority at the cross, and now he's thrown into the lake of fire where he will pay the price for his lies and his deceptions. And according to Jesus, in Matthew, chapter 25, verse 41, this was the purpose of hell. Hell was made for Satan. It was made for his fallen angels. That's who it was designed for. That's who, that's, that's who it was designed for. But as we're going to see in the text, that's not going to be the only Uh, individuals that go there. What you have, we saw last week and we see this week, what you have is the, the unholy trinity being thrown into the lake of fire. You have the false prophet, the antichrist, and finally Satan. The source of evil in our world is put down and destroyed for all eternity. There will be no more evil, no more wickedness, no more spiritual attacks, From Satan, because God places him in the lake of fire. And for that, we rejoice that the enemy of mankind's soul is put away. Let's continue in our study. We're gonna look at verses eleven through fifteen, these these final five verses. Now, when we now when we come to these, these these verses here, this is one of the most sobering. Weighty passage passages in all of Scripture. Verses eleven through 15, just gonna preface it with this. They've caused me to lose sleep at night when I think of my loved ones and the my friends who are not saved. And it makes me gasp for air, literally, when I think about what would have happened if I would have stepped into eternity without Christ. It has caused me to go into a sweat. When I think about eternity and I think about where it was going to happen to me if it had not been for the grace of God. Verses 11 through 15, if you're taking notes, this is why we send missionaries out into the world. This is why we evangelize because this day is coming. Look at verse 11. Then what has previously happened has happened Is completed. Satan and them are in the lake of fire. And it says, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. We call this the doctrine of the great white throne of judgment. And he says there in verse 11, let's, let's break it down. I saw a great, great right throne. That word great Uh, It it represents power. It it represents magnificence. You know, the Supreme Court is not the highest court in our universe. They're the highest court in our land, but there's a court that's higher than them, and that is the courtroom of God. It is great. The great white throne, it is great. It is magnificent. There's no higher throne. There's no attorneys there, there, it's a, a strict court that judges perfectly. And then it says great white. That word white uh, is purity. Purity, um, holy, <clears throat> not tainted by sin, not tainted by evil, because the one who is seated on the throne is pure, is perfect, is white. And then it's called the throne, the great white throne. That word throne is, it means sovereign. That word throne means unmovable. That's this great white throne. It's powerful, it's pure, and it's sovereign, and it's unmovable. And then him who sat upon it, who is sitting upon this throne? None other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who lived that sinless, perfect three and a half year life on this earth. The one that was crucified the one that was raised from the dead, the one that performed the miracles, the one that showed grace, the one that healed the sick, the one that announced the good news of the kingdom. Now he himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, is seated on this throne. And then it says in verse 11, whose presence, earth and heaven fled away. No place was found for them. In other words, there's no place to run. There's no place to hide the material universe will flee. Now, if the material universe flees and everything that is, what's left? Man. Man will be alone. Unsaved man will be alone in the eternal courtroom of God. Verse 12. And I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, and every one of them according to their deeds. The point of verse 12 and 13 is that every single unbeliever from the beginning of time till the day of, the, of this of the, of the last day every single unbeliever that has ever lived will be raised their wealth means nothing their social status means nothing no matter if they're president of the United States or homeless on skid row or living in the tribes of Africa or living in Europe Every single unbeliever will be raised and they will be judged for their sin and ultimately the greatest sin, their failure to trust in Christ. This is the great white throne of judgment. If, if a, someone wakes up on the other side and there's a big white throne, you've done something wrong in this life. And the thing that, that people would do wrong is not trusting in Christ. It's simply the ticket to avoid the great white throne of judgment is saying, Lord Jesus, I trust you. Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I'm living my life and trusting in you. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul says, God He, it actually says he, he, God, made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus took the price. He paid the ultimate judgment in the eternal courtroom of God for us so that we could be forgiven. He stood in judgment for us. Verse 14 Verses 14, let read verses 14 and 15. Um, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Lake of fire, whew, that's tough. That's just scary to even think about. It's scary to even talk about. I don't even, like, wrap my mind around these things because it's not a joyful thing to think about, really, right? You know, we like to talk about grace and mercy and love and walking in His truth, and I love talking about those things. But the Bible also warns that there's a place called the lake of fire. In Scripture, it's also called, in the Gospels, uh, it's also called hell, it's called Sheol, it's called Gehenna, it's called Hades. And the one thing that all the verses teach about it is that it is forever. It is forever, and it is God's righteous judgment on sinners. There's no other way to put it. It's God's righteous judgment on sinners. Many people cringe, and many people think it's unfair for a sinner to spend eternity in hell. But the way I see it, in reality, the sinner made their choice when they refuse to trust Christ. Because scripture is very clear. It is not God's plan for anyone to perish. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Jesus told Nicodemus late at night, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God's plan, God's will is that all men come to Christ and find complete forgiveness of sin and spend eternity with him in heaven. That's the good news of the gospel. That's why they call it, that's why there's called good news and bad news. The bad news is men are under judgment because of their sin. The good news is God has made a way. God has made a way for man to be forgiven and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a free gift. You trust, believe, receive him as your Lord and Savior. You say, Jesus, I trust you for my eternity. I trust you for the forgiveness of my sin. I have a personal relationship with you by your Holy Spirit. You know, but there will be people that reject that. There will be the people that, put, that say, no, thank you. You know, decisions have consequences. They chose to follow the world instead of following God. They chose to fill their life with sin over being filled with the Holy Spirit. They chose death over life. God has given, listen to me clearly, God has given our world an exit door to avoid the lake of fire and the great white throne of judgment. That exit door is called the cross, where Jesus shed his blood so you and I can be forgiven. God's righteous judgment fell on Jesus so you and I would not have to face judgment. He experienced judgment for you. That's love. That's love. That's amazing love. Romans chapter five, verse eight says, God, God, I love this verse. Please memorize it. Go home and look it up. Romans five, eight. God demonstrates his own love for us and why we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He loves you that much. You know, when a, 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 a little child, maybe your son or your daughter or your grandchildren, they come up to you and say, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, how much you love me? What do we like to do? We stretch out our arms and we tell our kids, I love you this much. We stretch out our arms saying, I love you. Come run to Papa. Come run to your parents. Come run to your grandparents. 2,000 years ago, God stretched out his arms on a cross and he says, I love you this much that I will die on the cross for your sins. Jesus, the son of God, the second member of the Trinity, he tasted death so that you could have life. He loves you that much. But we need to, the world needs to understand God takes sin serious. You know, so we like to say salvation is a free gift, and it is. There's nothing you can do to earn it, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. But think about this. It's free to us, but it costs God everything. It costs Him His Son. It costs Him His beloved Son that he had been in eternal fellowship with from eternity past. The son that he loved. You know, why does, why, why did, how, did, how does love exist? Uh, let me rephrase that question. Love existed before time began. Love existed before the creation of the world. And love existed because there was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there was this perfect love between those three. There was this perfect communion. There was this perfect love. There was just this unity of them. An amazing, but yet the Father creates this world. Man falls into sin and he says, you know what? Romans chapter five, verse eight. I love them so much. I'm gonna give up my son who's seated at my right hand and I'm gonna send him to earth. That is the love of God so that men could spend eternity in heaven and not in the lake of fire. We're studying eschatology. we got two more weeks <clears throat> in the book of Revelation. And I was thinking about it this week as I was studying Revelation chapter 20. I might start ending a lot of my messages this way. And the question is, how does Revelation chapter 20 apply to me? How, how does... What do I take home from studying Revelation chapter 20 other than filling my head with eschatology and knowing future events? What's the application, Christian? What's the application from studying Revelation chapter 20? I wanna give you three applications I believe that you should be able to take home from this message and make a part of your life. Number one, next time the devil reminds you of your past, Remind him of his future. When you're going through spiritual warfare and you're going through the battles and you feel that darkness coming against you in spiritual warfare, coming against your family, you remind Satan you're going to the lake of fire one day, and I'm going to heaven, and I'm going to trust in Christ. Remind him of his future. His future is set. He has a destiny with a, a, a lake of sulfur and brimstone. And so we remind him of his future. Family, the best is yet to come for you. Matter of fact, this is the worst it'll get. This is the worst it'll get in this life. The best is yet to come. Number two, kinda, I kind of led into it. Number two is don't let the world beat you down with all the negativity. Live with an eternal perspective, knowing that, that one day you will reign with Christ. Man, I'm gonna tell you right now, I struggle too. Life throws the Ford family curveballs too. We experience difficulties in our family. We don't have it all together and we're not perfect. And and chances are, you're probably not either. And we all face challenges in life. We all face challenges in our family and, and, and everything. And everything doesn't always go the way we want But in light of Revelation chapter 20 and the coming millennial kingdom, it helps me take my mind off of what I'm experiencing in the difficulty of the moment and I put my eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ knowing that one day, Lord Jesus, we're gonna ride. We're gonna ride. We're gonna ride on white horses and we're gonna ride and we're gonna rule and reign in the kingdom and it's gonna be joyful. And whatever trial, whatever tribulation, I have to experience in this life, I will go through it. I'm going to fight like you know what, through whatever difficulty, through whatever situation I'm facing, because I'm taking my eyes off the situation that I'm in, what's happening in life, and I'm living my life with an eternal perspective. That is what we learn from Revelation chapter 20. And finally, the third take home from this chapter is this. The doctrine of the great white throne of judgment should not scare us, but it should cause us to pray fervently and witness to the lost with the good news of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, it's appointed once a man to die and then face judgment. We don't need to um, veer away from or be afraid to talk about sin, or judgment, or God's holiness. We need to remind the people that God is holy, and one day he's gonna hold them accountable. And we need to pray fervently. And I wanna tell you something too, when, I, when I'm witnessing to someone, I'm sharing the gospel, I am very careful in my words and the way I articulate the gospel. I wanna articulate it accurately, present it clearly, and I don't wanna do anything in my life that's going to keep somebody else from coming to know Christ. In other words, I, I, I understand the sovereignty of God, and I understand the Holy Spirit, and I understand salvation is all of the Lord, but in my witness to people, when I'm witnessing to someone, I want to present the gospel clearly, compassionately, lovingly, kindly, because I don't want to do anything that's going to push them away, but I want to bring them them to the Lord. You know, as a pastor, I've been called to a lot of deathbeds. I, I've been called to a lot of deathbeds, and I've been able to lead a lot of people, I mean, not a lot of people, but I've been able to lead some people to the Lord towards the end of their life. But at the same time, I've had people on their deathbed say no, or zip it, or shut up. You know, I, I, don't, I don't want to talk about that right now. You know, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need Jesus. I don't want Jesus. I don't need Jesus. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart in horror. And it causes me to lose sleep because I know I'm looking in the face of someone that's going to stand before the just and righteous great white throne of judgment. So I do everything in my power to be loving, kind, compassionate because I want them to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Family, we need to live with an eternal perspective. And and we need to live in light of his coming. And next week, I think it's the next two chapters. I don't think I know it is. Revelation chapter 20 and 21. We're gonna, 21 and 22, excuse me. We're gonna look at heaven and the river of life. So if you have questions about heaven, wait till next week and the week after. There's this place above. We don't know its exact pinpoint location. If we knew the exact location, that would destroy the concept of faith. But the Bible says that there are three heavens. The atmosphere around the earth, the universe, this endless in every direction. But there's a a place called the third heaven. And we're going to be looking at it for the next two weeks in these next two chapters called the new Jerusalem. This new Jerusalem is going to come down in eternity ahead of us. And it's going to be the capital of the new earth. Until then... Let's serve Christ, be a witness for him, and live with an eternal perspective. Love you guys. I hope you've been encouraged and strengthened in our Bible teaching, in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this study of Revelation chapter 20. And Father, we, we thank you that... You took the judgment for us at Calvary. You paid the price as you cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You took the price. You paid the price, the judgment for our sin. And Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for that. Father, help us, Lord, to move forward today with compassionate, kind, and caring hearts towards our relatives and our family members and friends who don't know you as their Lord and Savior. Help us to be a witness. Help us to be able to explain to them how to find forgiveness of sin, how to find this new life in Christ, and how to experience your amazing love, truth, grace, peace, and mercy. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Lord God, you reign. Thank you for this day. And thank you for this study in your word. Equip us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.